Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Kate Hope Day. Kate is the author of If Then and the upcoming novel In the Quick. She holds a BA from Bryn Mawr College and a PhD in English from the University of Pittsburgh and was an associate producer at HBO. The television rights for If Then sparked a heated auction which Heyday Films, the creator of the Harry Potter movies and Gravity, eventually won. Apple TV has greenlit the project, contingent upon casting the NBC Universal as a studio, and Kate will be co-producer for the show. We're really excited about that. And Kate, as I mentioned, has In the Quick coming up it's on sale March 2nd through Random House. And a quick description is, a young, ambitious female astronaut's life is upended by a love affair that threatens the rescue of a lost crew in this brilliantly imagined novel in the tradition of Station Eleven and The Martian. Kate, I hope I did your bio and the description of the book Justice. Congrats on the book and how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so glad to be here. My first question, you mentioned you've listened to the podcast before, is always, where are you in the world right now? For many people, the answer is at home, but where is home for you? Home is Oregon. I live sort of in the midst of where they grow the blueberries and the hazelnuts and the wine grapes. So it's very green, even in the winter. And yeah, I really love it here. I'm actually from the East Coast, but I'm a West Coast convert. As far as quarantine itself, I'm always curious, as we discussed before the podcast, how writers are doing during quarantine. So for you, what has your experience been? Have you been affected much? I know that writing is a solitary experience anyway. Yes, I've definitely had to change my habits, largely because my children have been out of school and doing remote school for almost a year. It's wild to say that out loud. So I went from, you know, having, I wrote in the quick under contract. So I had a deadline and I was able to make writing my job for the two years that I was writing it. And so I dropped my kids off at school and I would spend, you know, those six, seven hours before I needed to pick them up writing. So what now seems like an obscene amount of time per week to do, you know, writing, but also all the other things that you do when you're writing a sort of long form project that's taking, you know, months, years to finish, you know, reading other things that keep you inspired and motivated, you know, working on. I do a lot of plot charting and, you know, character arcs and doing free writes when I sort of feel tapped out and sort of all that guaranteed time disappeared in the span of a week. And I was left with maybe an hour a day that was not really solitary <laughs> to write. And I, I had to go back to the way I wrote my first novel, actually, which I wrote very slowly while my kids were babies. During their nap times was my only time I really had to write that was quiet and sort of protected. 
And I got really good back then at sort of like writing in these 15, you know, 20, 30 minute bursts. And I had to do the sort of faucet method of writing where it was sort of like as soon as that laptop opened up and, you know, the screen came on, I just had to start typing. Whether, you know, what came out was good or not, I would just try to get something on the page. So in some ways, I've gone back to that mode and just sort of, you know, scribbling things in my notebook when I'm kind of hiding in the bathroom from my kids or I do tend to write after everyone has gone to bed. So I do the bulk of actual sustained writing right now from about 10 to midnight. And that's the point at which I sort of make myself go to sleep and stop working. For those writers who are listening, you know, you just described your experience, but for those writing who are going through similar experiences and are maybe actually struggling with writer's block, finding inspiration, do you have any words of wisdom? I do. I think over the past year, I've figured a few things out. And I I have to sort of speak directly to novelists or anyone that's working on sort of a long form project that is by the nature of the thing going to take, you know, at least a year, if not multiple years. And to me, I had to let go of this idea of generating a certain number of words or sort of standard of productivity that I had held before the pandemic. because. To keep a hold of that was just really painful. And it just sort of left me feeling like I had failed every single day. And I've really kind of recalibrated what constitutes a good writing week, I guess I would say. And for me, I think it's really been a matter of not so much how much I've written, but have I kept that project alive in my mind? You know, before the pandemic hit, I got about 10,000 words written of my third novel. I was very energized. I had a lot in my mind. I wanted to sort of get it out on paper as you know, quickly as possible, which is how I wrote the first draft of In the Quick, just sort of very fast, you know, get it all down, at least the first like 40K words or so. And, you know, I wasn't able to do that suddenly. And for me, the biggest challenge is you know, if you have to step away from a project because you have demands on your time, and all of us are in that, you know, predicament right now in one way or another, and you're not going to be able to necessarily, you know, be writing full scenes every day. So the key for me have just been to find, you know, different ways to kind of tap back into that project and that character, you know, my main character or the world of that book. And sometimes that doesn't look like looking at a screen because so much of my life is, you know, dealing with the kids' school on the iPads and, you know, my own work for, you know, in the quick coming out, I've had to do a lot of, you know, stuff on my computer. And so I've been handwriting in a journal a whole lot more than I ever did before. I've also been finding ways to kind of come at the project sideways in a way to sort of just make it as fun as possible and you know, have it feel like the good thing in my life as opposed to one more thing I have to check off. So I've always relied quite a bit on sort of visual inspiration, but I've really been leaning on that quite a bit over the last year. I definitely sort of collect images on Pinterest for the book I'm working on right now. I have individual 
sometimes I'll do individual collections for specific characters or even scenes. And sometimes I'll, you know, even print out an image and paste it to my bathroom mirror if I'm sort of in a scene that I'm trying to figure out, just so I can kind of give, you know, kind of nudge my unconscious in that direction so that it's sort of working on a problem even when I'm doing other things. I also have been doing a lot of printing pages out, which that doesn't sound like revelatory, but I've found that if I've managed to write, you know, say at bedtime or something, I've managed to write some bit of a scene that I can kind of keep working on it in the back of my mind. If I print out what I've done, even if it doesn't look good on the page, you know, it's going to be a mess. You have to sort of be okay with that. If I print it out and I kind of have it in, you know, in my environment throughout the day, I'll notice it. Maybe I pick it up. Maybe I read. Maybe I, you know, write things in the margin or something, but just actually seeing those pages there, it's sort of like, okay, this is, this is a thing. That book is real. It has a real world and these characters are real and I've got to, you know, sort of care for it the way you would a plant or something and not sort of like forget about it. So those are sort of the things that I've been doing to kind of keep the project alive, which to me is like sort of the biggest challenge right now. Love that. Before we talk process, tell us, did you always want to be an author? Walk us through your career trajectory leading up to this point. Yeah, I am not one of those people who wrote short stories when they were seven years old and always knew they wanted to be an author. I have always made things, created things. You know, I've in high school, I was obsessed with photography. In college, I made short films. I worked in television for a bit, but then I kind of took a, you know, different turn and I went and got a PhD in English. And I fully intended to be an English professor. And sort of a series of events came together. And I found myself, I had just had my first child. And I hadn't gotten an academic job yet. So for the first time in my life, I had, you know, I was not working. And I was home with a new baby, which is sort of like, you know, stepping into an alternate reality in so many ways. And I found that, you know, I didn't have the freedom to go out and take photographs. And I didn't have the, you know, the resources to make a short film or something. But I had this very intense emotional experience and I needed to put it somewhere. And so that's actually the first time I ever really wrote a word of fiction. And with, you know, such hubris, I, because I'm, you know, the novelist, what I studied in graduate school, it's definitely the form that I'm most comfortable with. I'm not really a big short story reader or definitely not a short story writer. And so I, you know, had this idea, I'm going to write this novel. And that actually ended up being my first novel, if then, although, you know, many, many revisions later. I would love to dive into talking about the book itself. Before we do, I would love to add some context in the form of quotes. Those quotes are, first one, an enthralling, romantic, and powerful testament to human strength and frailty and the pursuit of possibility. That's from Courtney Summers, New York Times bestselling author of Sadie. Here's another one. Kate Hope Day has given us another fascinating, beautifully written genre-bending novel, equal parts sci-fi mystery and coming-of-age romance in the quick is at its heart a feminist story about June 
an engineering prodigy fighting to be taken seriously in the austere world of deep space. I couldn't put it down. That's from Angie Kim, national best-selling author of Miracle Creek. I read In the Quick with Wonder at the deeply imaginative world Kate Hope Day created. Feminist and thrilling, this novel centers around a precocious, brilliant character named June. I happily followed June into deep space, but I would have followed her anywhere. What a wonderful story. I highly recommend this novel. And that's from Anne Napolitano, New York Times bestselling author of Dear Edward. So with those quotes being said, you've got this book coming out very soon. How are you feeling going into the release and with such amazing quotes? Well, I'm feeling unexpectedly pretty positive for someone who has a book coming out in the middle of a pandemic. I think I'm really trying to enjoy it more this time around. I think with my first novel, everything is so new and you're sort of not sure what's important to pay attention to and what's important not to pay attention to. And I think, you know, second time around, I'm really trying to enjoy the parts that I enjoy and sort of let go of the parts that are, you know, not really my thing. And yeah, I just feel a little more prepared and also just like a wonderful sense of like welcome from, you know, people who are writer friends like Angie, but also people that I don't know personally at all who read the book and loved it like Anne and Courtney. I would love to dive into process. We obviously talk process a lot on this podcast. So for this book specifically, we're always curious, how did you come up with the idea? And why did you choose to commit to this idea? Because writers obviously are always thinking about ideas. So how did you get the idea? And why did you choose to move forward with it? Well, I love to chat process and I love to hear other writers talk about process. I feel like I just cannot get enough of it. In the Quick started with the main character, June, who just seemed to appear in my mind one day, right as I was revising my first novel, if then. And I sort of made a deal with myself because very soon after she kind of started inhabiting my brain, I started to get a lot of ideas about this, you know, the potential of a second book about this character. And I really wanted to start writing but I knew I had to finish the revision of my first novel. So I made a deal with myself that I could start writing after I had finished, you know, what I thought would be the final, final draft of If Then. And I did that. So by the time I actually sat down and started writing in the quick, I had had this character and this world in my mind for almost a year. And I had just a lot I wanted to get down on paper. Thinking back, I think sort of two things came together, you know, in the generation of the idea. First of all, my first novel was a multi point of view, you know, third person novel that took place over just sort of 10 days. I really wanted to write something in first person. I was interested in the intimacy of that and to sort of follow one character over several years of their life. And I think June, you know, it feels like she came out of nowhere, but I, you know, having spent a book with her, I can look at her and say she has the sort of quality of many of the characters that I love in literature you know, sort of characters that I come back to again and again. They're kind of 
They're the characters who kind of get in their own way. They kind of create hardship for themselves simply by being who they are. You know, they can't help it, but you love them and you kind of shake your head at them at the same time. For me, the quintessential example is Jane Eyre, but there are a lot of great ones. You know, I'm thinking of Lisbeth Salander, Arthur Less from television, Fleabag. And I just love the idea of this character who would sort of generate plot, (laughs) which is a good thing when, you know, you're writing. If you have a character that sort of creates problems, (laughs) because then, you know, it sort of feels like half your work as a writer has been done for you. That idea, you know, the idea of June and sort of came together with the setting, which I've always been interested in space. And, you know, I'm not a scientist. I don't have like an engineering background or anything like that. But I did study the history and philosophy of science in graduate school as part of my PhD. And so I, I've thought a bit about, you know, the story of science and sort of how we talk about genius and how we talk about how, you know, groundbreaking ideas come about. And I think the character of June, who's very sort of precocious, she has this very unique mind. And she has this sort of uncanny ability to invent things that sort of came together with kind of just the pretty nerdy desire to set a book in space and really kind of get into the nitty gritty details of what it's like to live in space on a kind of purely physical standpoint. It also happened, you know, at that time, (laughs) my kids were at the age where they were obsessed with all the Mars rovers. And we were watching a lot of, you know, video of the rovers and also a lot of International Space Station videos of astronauts doing doing normal things like brushing their teeth and eating. And I think all those things kind of, you know, went into the soup of things that were in my brain. And the idea of this book came out. Love that. You mentioned the characters. I would love to get from your perspective, your process for fleshing out characters. Do you have a template, a list of specific questions you ask yourself? And at what point do you feel you get to a point where you understand the character enough that you can start telling the story from their perspective? That's a great question. I think for different characters, it's definitely, you know, different modes that I take. But I think I do tend to just put a character in a scene and kind of see what they do. And I try to make it, you know, be a scene that demands something of them. So either they're in conversation with something or what's actually my favorite thing to write is, you know, they're doing something that's sort of physically taxing. And I think the reason why I like to write scenes that are very physical is that's sort of how I kind of get into that character. I think it's really important to me to sort of feel what they feel in their bodies and kind of like what it feels like to be in the world as them. And once I kind of get there and I get a sense of like how they move and how, you know, how they go about things physically, it's sort of like I need to kind of burrow into that 
in order to get to the sort of higher level stuff where you start to ask yourself, oh, you know, she answered this question in this particular way. Why is that? Is that because, you know, her... And I definitely go to some like very basic questions of what's their greatest fear? You know, what's their greatest hope? I definitely, you know, will kind of push myself to kind of ask myself, well, what's the layer under that? So, you know, in the immediate scene, she's scared of blank. Well, what's under that? And what's under that? And is that like the deepest level that you can get to? But all of that really has to start with the body for me. As far as when you, once you have an idea for a story and you want to move forward with it, what's that initial process look like before you actually sit down to write the book? What does the outline look like? I know some people are pantsers, some people are plotters. Are you a plotter? Do you prefer to have a very thoroughly detailed outline? I have to kind of get to some kind of middle ground with that. I'm definitely not a write a whole draft without an outline sort of person. But I also find that if I have something too rigidly plotted, all of a sudden the energy goes out of the scenes for me and I don't want to write them anymore. (laughs) So it's more of a psychological problem than it is a writing problem, a motivation problem. And, you know, part of me sort of the type A part of me would love to be able to just write an outline and then just sort of execute that outline. But I just, you know, I can't find the joy in the writing and the energy that way. So usually when I'm just figuring out characters, figuring out the world, kind of trying to find my way into feeling grounded in a story, I usually will write from 20,000 to 30,000 words of just anything that's in my mind. And maybe that's, you know, maybe it's scenes, but more often than not, it's just sort of my thoughts about the character and sort of why they are the way they are, what's their backstory, doing a lot of thinking about the world and sort of what are the sort of important key sensory aspects of that world. And thinking, you know, I'll sort of, at that point, write myself some notes about what I need to research to sort of get the facts right. But I won't do a ton of reading at that point because I find that that also can kill the sort of energy behind the project. Sort of a delicate balance of, you know, mapping things out, sort of, and reading some and doing some research, but also leaving a lot up to sort of, you know, just what you happen to get down on the page and sort of exploring what's there. I think I'm one of those writers that does have things sort of working out in the back of my brain a lot of the time. And if I have things mapped out too much, I can't tap into that. And that's sort of like where the really good stuff is. So I tend to kind of just generate without editing at all. So basically in free write mode, you know, about 20 to 30,000 words. And that's the point at which I sort of have to stop and say, okay, what is this? Like, what is it going to look like? You know, what's the time frame of the book? You know, what kind of character arcs are we looking at? 
you know, is this really going to be in first person or am I going to have multiple points of view? That's when I kind of sort of have to settle some things for myself. And that's the point at which I will start doing some like three act type plotting in a very rough sort of way. But I sort of need that because at that point I start to feel if I'm writing more than 30K words or so, I start to feel like I'm flying a little blind. And so once I've gotten to that point, I'll kind of go back and actually start writing more in chapter, more in scene. And I'll have my plot charts. And so I'll sort of start to use them as a general guideline for where I'm going. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city. While our producer, Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favourite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favourite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth podcast network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favourite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickr and Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. As far as themes, do you find that your themes happen organically as you write? Or do you sit down you know, from the very beginning saying, I want to say this, these are the things that I want the readers to take away? I think I have questions from the beginning with if then I had a sort of concept, the idea of a counterfactual and if then statement. I had that concept from the very beginning and I sort of had the question, the sort of very open-ended question. What if you could see how your life might have played out if you had made another choice or if chance events had happened another way? What if you could actually watch that as if you were watching a movie or something like that? And that was kind of the question that started the book. But many of the things that I think readers ended up taking away are sort of a more formed version of that. Sort of like, what are the benefits of that kind of thinking? You know, is that sort of how we can express our freedom as human beings, sort of think about all the different choices that we could have made. And it is a sort of function of being able to say, oh, you know, what I have is actually not too bad. It's pretty good. That's sort of like a wonderful, you know, human, very human sort of thing to question and to think about. With In the Quick, I definitely started with some things I just wanted to think about. I wanted to think about the tension between the human body 
and the way we're, you know, our bodies are soft and vulnerable and, you know, we don't have metal armor and the sort of really crushing physical conditions of space. And I wanted to sort of think about that tension. And, you know, I didn't have necessarily an answer at the beginning, but it was sort of like, I want to explore this and sort of see what comes out of it. The other thing I wanted to think about was what might a love between two highly intelligent, maybe you could call them geniuses, what might that look like? And it seemed like a fun thing to write. And I wanted to, you know, find out what it would look like. And then I think in the end, though, the book really asks a question that I didn't necessarily have in my mind at the beginning, but I'm so glad it got there. The question became more sort of what does love look like between two equals, which is, you know, much bigger than what I started with. Anne Napolitano referred to the book as feminist and thrilling. So can you walk us through, for those who don't know, what does it mean to be a feminist novel? And do you self-identify this book as a feminist novel? I think that's a great description. I think feminism is, you know, a word that I inhabit with some, (laughs) some trepidation. I think right now, feminism seems to have a lot to do with individual choice or even kind of individual self-reflection, which is not a bad thing, but also just sort of like individual consumerism. And I think that, you know, as a student of the Victorian period and sort of the beginnings of feminist thought, what I miss in some of feminist discourse right now is a sense of like how the larger larger inequalities between women and men really can only be engaged in a systemic way. That said, I do think that representation in novels, in film, in television matters. I think it matters a great deal. And I really, in a lot of ways, wrote the book that I wanted to read with this book. I tend to, I'll read any, you know, astronaut memoir that's out there. And they do tend to be, you know, written by men. That's sort of who ends up, for whatever reason, that's who ends up with the book deals. And I just had this hunger for, you know, we have some amazing women astronauts in this country. And man, wouldn't it be great to have a movie about Peggy Whitson, who's spent 666 days on the International Space Station. I would love to see that movie. So it was sort of that impulse of, you know, wanting to have this like brilliant, you know, ambitious and ambition not being a bad thing, a brilliant, ambitious heroine, you know, wanting to read that and sort of saying to myself, well, maybe I'll write it. For those writers out there who are working on a new project, maybe they have strong female lead. What is your advice for writing strong female protagonists? That is a interesting question. I think there's been a lot of talk lately about this question of likability and how difficult it is to write a complex woman character that doesn't get sort of dinged with this, you know, she's unlikable, I didn't like her critique. And that isn't always, I do think it's true, that isn't always a critique that happens with male, you know, main characters. 
And I think the thing to sort of keep in mind with that is, first of all, when you're writing, you can't worry about any of that stuff. (laughs) I think you have to write, you have to write the thing that you have to write, you know? And if you want to write about a badass, you know, woman, heroine type character, like that's the thing you have to write. But I think also, if it is something that's kind of coming in the back of your mind, like, mm, are my readers going to like her? Is she too ambitious? Is she too, you know, problematic? Is she, is she too flawed? And I think the thing to keep in mind is that you don't actually, I think this question of likability sort of muddies the water a bit. I don't think the question is actually likable or unlikable. I think you just need to want you need to care about the character. You need to want to find out what happens to them. You don't need to want to be their friend or be roommates with them or marry them or anything like that. But you have to care about them. And I think, you know, some of the characters that I mentioned, Lisbeth Salander is maybe not a character that you would want to be roommates with, for instance. But you care so deeply for her in those books. She is a difficult person to be around in many ways, but the magic of those books is that you don't, you don't, as a reader, you don't care about that because you're, you're just so compelled by her and you just want her to succeed more than anything. And I think that's sort of the thing to keep in mind, sort of write, you know, write what you really want to write. And also remember that, you know, If your character wants things really badly and your readers can feel that, I think that's the the way you get to, you know, readers caring about that character getting what they want. Love that. You talked about writing the outline itself, but what about the actual process of sitting down on the day-to-day? You'd also mentioned during quarantine, trying to be less conscious of page numbers, but can you walk us through your process? Are you working chapter to chapter, and then just getting it out there? Because I know you had mentioned writing whether what comes out is good or not. Can you walk us through that phase where you're first getting everything out there before you're editing? Yeah, absolutely. When I'm in a generating type phase, I don't do a lot of, is this good? Is this the direction I should be going in? I kind of, you know, kind of writing in all directions and just getting it down on the page. and. What's on the page is less important than sort of the thought process of just kind of generating as... And a lot of times like at that phase, it is helpful to think in word count because it's sort of like, I just need to... I know for me as a writer that I need about 30K words to understand the world of my novel and my main character. So I do think, you know, as I don't like focus on it too much right now because it tends to be... I get a little unkind to myself right now in the pandemic. But generally speaking, it does help me during a generating phase to sort of set a daily, you know, goal. Sometimes that's like 500 words a day. Sometimes when, you know, under normal times, I will have stretches where I'll try to write a thousand words a day. And it's really not about creating a scene or, you know, a chapter or anything that's necessarily formed. It's just sort of kind of emptying my brain onto the page. You know, I love like all the nitty gritty details of what writers do. 
So I will, you know, I'll mention that I do use Scrivener for my first couple of drafts. And that's really helpful for me because I can kind of parcel out what I'm doing and not think, sort of not worry about like the whole. And I will have kind of different modes that I'm writing in. You know, some days I'll actually sort of write something that's close to a scene, but not doing a lot of editing, just sort of getting it out. And other days when I'm just not, you know, I don't want to do something that feels like work, I will do like just 15 minute timers, you know, maybe three of them over a span of a couple of hours and do sort of very fast free writes. And I keep those documents just in a separate, you know, part of my Scrivener file. And a lot of times that stuff will make it into a book, but it'll sort of stay in that, you know, section of documents until I need it. And I would say that's like sort of been the biggest learning curve for me. I was an academic writer before I was a creative writer. And there are some parallels. I mean, you know, I wrote a dissertation, which was book length. And in order to do that, you do have to learn, you know, just the sort of butt in chair, (laughs) sort of you have that there's a certain amount of time that has to go into writing in order to generate that kind of work. So I definitely had the kind of discipline of sitting down every day and writing. But I didn't have, I didn't have great habits for just being very free at the early stage. Because with academic writing, you're kind of, at least I was, editing before you even type the word. So I had sort of like very crafted sentences, even in my first drafts when I was writing about whatever it was, middle March or whatever. With creative writing, I really had to break myself of that habit and get okay with a big mess on the page because those free writes where I'll just, you know, and sometimes I'll start with something that's very basic with the book, like a keyword or an image that I've saved on Pinterest. I'll sort of stare at it for a minute and then I'll do a 15 minute free write. Or, you know, if there's some particular physical aspect of you know, a character, I will sort of, you know, write that at the top of, you know, a new document and do a 15 minute free write about why that's important or sort of, you know, why is this something the reader needs to know? So I've gotten a whole lot, you know, more comfortable with that kind of writing. And that's been really important because there's some really good stuff that comes out of that, you know, freer, less kind of self-critical writing. In fact, the opening paragraph of In the Quick was from this weird free write that I did one day when I was not feeling, you know, writing whatever scene I was in the middle of writing. I did this timed free write. It was generally about the tension between the human body and the physical conditions of space. And it was just this sort of big mess of, I don't know, maybe a thousand words. And within those thousand words was this paragraph, which almost word for word ended up opening the novel. As far as the editing process itself, once you finish, you know, getting everything out there, what does that look like? Are you editing on a chapter by chapter basis? Are you doing a pass through the whole book? And how long does that take? How many times are you doing that? How long does that go on for? 
For me, if I have the sort of schedule that I had for in the quick, so normal <laughs> pre-pandemic type time frame, I will generally speaking do that kind of very free generating for about six months or so. And then I'll kind of do some plotting, do some thinking about the structure of the book. And then I will sort of force myself to go back and make that, you know, those free writes or those very free form sections into actual scenes. So I'll do sort of a pass through of what I've written and I usually end up with about a third of a book in scene from what I had written. You know, maybe it doesn't look anything like the free rights, but it comes out of the free rights in some form. Those scenes will sort of stay that way in their own document, you know, in Scrivener until I've gotten through a lot of the book, I would say like three fourths or so. And sometimes I do write out of order. So you know, I'll have a lot of scenes from many points in the book. And so I'll usually be almost done with a full draft before I actually sort of make things into chapters and worry about kind of a little bit more formal formatting. Printing out is definitely really important for me. I'm printing. It's not the most environmentally friendly habit, but it's something that I need to, I need to do. I sort of need that kind of more tactile experience of writing notes on the page. So I'm printing out as I go, but definitely once I have an almost full draft, printing it out and reading through once without a pen, just trying to sort of tap into that readerly experience rather than as an editor. And I'll just sort of, you know, not be thinking about, oh, what am I going to change? But just sort of trying to listen to the music of the prose and just sort of, you know, thinking about, is this, is this the way I want to introduce this world? Does it sound the way I want it to? And then I'll go back and read it again and, you know, write a gazillion notes in the margins and, you know, maybe move some chapters around. I definitely will make you know, piles of paper on the floor and sort of move things around. Although I do that in Scrivener as well, but sometimes I'll do it in a physical form. Once I get to the point where I've gone through many revisions, I mean, I'd say, you know, it's hard to tell because I I sort of revise as I go. But once I have a full draft, I do sort of at least three major revisions once I've got a full draft. And usually one of those is with my agent who always reads my work before we submit it to my editor. So I'll usually do, you know, I've already done like maybe two before it gets to her. And then I'll do, usually it ends up being even somewhat structural at that point. And then once I've gotten to that point, by the time it gets to my editor, we're usually doing more sort of in-scene work at the level of sentence paragraph. We're not sort of like, you know, killing off characters or doing big structural changes or anything like that. The other thing I want to mention is the magic of reading things out loud. This is something when I was teaching, you know, my students critical writing, it's so helpful to read your work out loud. And I not just to catch typos, although it's the best possible method for that. 
if you've written something and it actually needs to be sort of, you know, ready to be published. Reading out loud really helps me, you know, tap into that again, that readerly experience. I don't do it until I'm quite far along. So maybe like third revision of the full novel or something like that. That's when I sort of really ask myself, am I interested right now? You know, as I'm reading, am I skimming? (laughs) Am I sort of looking ahead on the page? Am I bored or am I riveted? And that's definitely the place where I start to kind of really tighten my prose, but also, you know, scenes. Maybe this conversation doesn't need to go on so long. You know, maybe it needs to be like half a page as opposed to two pages. Love that. Kate, I have two quick bonus questions before we go. The first one is, if you could choose to take any writer to any restaurant, which writer would you choose? Which restaurant and why? It's so hard, but I think I have to say I would love to go on a picnic with Charles Dickens. (laughs) That's my most genuine answer. (laughs) I don't know if anyone's chosen Dickens before, so that's that's a new one. I love that. The next, pretty much last question, and we always ask this, is if you could choose one thing from your entire career or experience as a writer that you'd like to pass along to those writers who are listening right now, what's the one thing that you would say? I had a great experience being edited for an essay that I wrote for the New York Times right around the time that my first novel, If Then, came out. I wrote a personal essay. I had never really written something like that. And it was a pretty daunting experience to know that it was going to be in the New York Times, which has obviously you know a huge number of readers. And it was, I don't know, about like 1,500 words or something like that. And my wonderful editor at the New York Times sort of very kindly kind of gave me the heads up that she loved it, but she was going to cut it down quite a lot. And she just wanted to prepare me for that. And I said, oh, okay, sounds good. And then she sent it back to me. And what a fantastic, first of all, what complete bliss to be edited by a professional like that. And I feel that way about my editor at Random House as well. But this was just this completely surgical, super precise sort of condensation of what I had written. And what a fantastic lesson on, you know, how about 500 or more of those words absolutely were not necessary. and. It was just such a great lesson for me that once I get to sort of the very end of, you know, writing a novel or whatever it is, an essay, that I really need to take a day, put it away for a novel, I would say put it away for a few weeks and come back to it and do a pass just for, I would call it sort of like the economy of the prose. Where does that word you know, not need to be there? Where have you repeated yourself, even though it feels like you haven't, you know, really come at it as the sort of, as much as you can, the sort of outside critical eye, because you will find, you know, your prose really can be a lot leaner. That was such a great, I think she thought I was going to be upset, but in fact, I was like in awe and I was like, this is fantastic. I need to learn how to do this, you know, for myself as an editor. Love that. Kate, in the quick 
is on sale March 2nd through Random House. If you're listening, please check it out. Congrats on the release, Kate. We're really excited about it. Did you want to plug anything else before you go? Obviously, the book's coming out. Did you want to plug social media, upcoming releases, anything like that? I would love to say hi to your listeners if they want to find me at my website, www.katehopeday.com. Or I'm most often on Instagram. And it's really easy to remember because I'm at Kate Hope Day there. And on Twitter, I'm also at Kate Hope Day. You know, I'd love to say hi on social media. And on my website, you can sign up for my newsletter. Awesome. Okay, thank you again for your insights and time. It's been a pleasure. And these episodes always go by so quick. Thank you so much. It was so fun. Thank you again. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.